toleration be the love before pride and exaltation be the love be the love you are listening to be the love to awaken our souls we are souls on the journey and our mission is to awaken all humans to a higher state of consciousness and live vibrantly as spiritual beings We are here to open up the conversation to heal, awaken, and connect ourselves and the planet to a higher vibration of love frequency. I am Stacey Musial. And I am Brenda Carey. And we are your co-hosts at Be The Love Podcast. Thank you for tuning in and ascending with us. It starts with you. Everything you need is within you. This is your time. This is Adrienne Elise of the Supernova Soul Tribe. This is Nicholas David Mann. Namaste. My name is Nistella Joy Davy. This is Ron Interpreter, and you're listening to Be the Love Podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of Be the Love to Awaken Our Souls. Thank you so much again for tuning in this week. I am Stacey Musial. And I am Brenda Carey with our special guest, Jonathan Robinson. We are your co-hosts and souls on the journey. And we would like to thank our Patreon supporters for allowing this weekly conscious conversation. We are so grateful for all the support we have received with monthly donations on Patreon, the five-star written reviews on iTunes and Spotify, and the connection within our Awakening Souls Facebook community. We are on a mission to raise the consciousness of humans and the planet, and we need your help. Please spread the word to your family and friends and join us every week. And if you like what you hear, support us in a way that raises your vibration to love. This episode is sponsored by Tom Palladino with Scalar Light. Sign up and receive your 30-day free Scalar Light healing at scalarlight.com. And you can listen to our interviews with Tom and the amazing benefits and healing potential in episodes 73, 78, and 90. And I've personally been receiving the Scalar Light energy daily and have noticed the shifts in my energy, including chakra balancing, energy clearing, and nutrient support. And it's also a beautiful gift I can provide for my family. And if it feels safe for you, I'd like to begin to invite you to take a moment and get centered with us. I'd like to begin by inviting you to take a beautiful cleansing breath in through your nose and out through your mouth, releasing anything that is keeping you from being present. And take another deep breath in through your nose, breathing in calm, peaceful, loving energy and breathing out anything you are ready to release in this now moment. And take one more breath in through your nose, breathing in light and love for yourself. And imagine breathing that light and love out and send it back to all of humanity, remembering that you always, always have your breath to come back to. Our guest today is Jonathan Robinson. Jonathan is a psychotherapist, author of 14 books, and has been a frequent guest on shows such as Oprah, The Today Show, and CNN. He has interviewed over 100 spiritual leaders, ranging from the Dalai Lama and Deepak Chopra to the late Wayne Dyer, Mother Teresa, and Ram Dass. In his latest book, The Enlightenment Project, 
Jonathan talks about the lessons he learned interviewing renowned spiritual masters. In addition, Jonathan reveals the key methods he discovered that led to deep awakening and inner peace for himself and the teachers he interviewed. Jonathan's work has reached over 100 million people, and he is known for providing immediately useful ideas and methods presented in an entertaining manner. Thank you so much for being here with us today, Jonathan. It should be fun. I'm looking forward to it. Definitely. Us too. So can you tell us about your journey and what has led you down this spiritual path? Well, I was very blessed to uh, grow up in a highly dysfunctional family. So um, I had my midlife crisis at age 12, really, mm -hmm. where I really realized that, you know, I have no control over this, uh, this violent family uh, that I grew up in. So I will go within and see if I can find happiness that way. So, uh, you know, at around age 12, I was suicidally depressed. And the only thing I could really turn to is self-help books which then got me into meditation and hypnosis and alternative health. So, you know, by 13, I was meditating every day. And then I kind of got into the habit of, well, who, who can help me to feel better? And I realized at some point that I could meet some of these people. So I made a list of everybody I ever wanted to meet, ranging from Mother Teresa to the Dalai Lama, and made a hobby and career out of getting to know them finding their best stuff and putting it in my books and ends up, you know, Oprah liked my book. So I got on her show a bunch and, and took off from there. Wow. That sounds like quite the incredible journey. And I love what you said about, you know, your dysfunctional family was a blessing for you. And so I, I just love that. And I'm wondering, like, how did you get to that place of seeing it as a blessing? Well, of course, that took a few years, but you know, normally people don't get into searching inside themselves unless they've either had a difficult childhood or maybe they have some experience like on psychedelics that opens them up. I actually had both those experiences, but you know, being able to really realize at a pretty young age that the only way I was going to find peace and love was within was a blessing. So at some point I realized, gee, my stepfather who used to beat me, he was really my first guru. You know, he was the mm. one that got me into this stuff. And, mm. and so, you know, we worked out our relationship uh, before he died. And I really do have a very fond feeling for him. You know, he was in a lot of pain and somehow that got me to explore this stuff. Mm. That sounds like quite the process of forgiveness. Um, to move from that energy of an abusive relationship with your father to looking at, I would use the words as your teacher or guru to bring you down more an enlightened path. So was that one of the inspirations for writing either your current book or one of your books? Is the story woven in there somewhere? Uh, I don't talk about that much other than to say it was a dysfunctional family. The book um, you know, the Enlightenment Project was really me trying to put in the greatest hits of everything I learned from a hundred spiritual leaders, uh, the best stories, the best methods, the best ideas, because uh, to tell you the truth, uh, Stacey and Brenda, I'm pretty lazy and I don't like to read a lot. So I thought I would, you know, put 
everything that was the best, most, most refined stuff possible in one book. And it seems to be hitting people as like, you know, wow, there's so much there. And, you know, besides the, the best methods I learned from these teachers, I think some of the ideas they presented really are mind blowing. One of the things I learned was that enlightenment is not that hard to achieve if you have the right method. Now, there's, you know, persistent enlightenment or more enlightened moments, but my life now is really filled with a lot of joy, a lot of peace, a lot of being awake to the present in a way that feels very expanded. And coming from a suicidally depressed kid, that's that's quite a, a thing. And, you know, I'm, I'm kind of lazy, so if a method takes longer than five minutes to do, I usually won't do it. A lot of the methods in the book take less than 20 seconds to do. Hmm. Yeah. So it sounds like you really like to have the short and sweet version of things. Yeah. And and I, I can imagine how helpful that would also be for many people in society, you know, that lead busy lives or, you know, don't feel like they have time or, you know, can really fit that in. So kind of going back to that term enlightenment, you yeah. know, that's a pretty, I think, can be intimidating for some people like to, you know, reach enlightenment. And what does that truly mean? And what what is enlightenment? If you can just explain that a little bit. Yeah, great question. Well, the, uh, the simplest term comes from uh, my friend and a, a teacher you might know named Adyashanti. And he says that enlightenment is basically just perceiving without the lens of the ego. But there's different levels of enlightenment. And I would say I'm at a lower level, uh, but, you know, I've met people like him or Dalai Lama that are at a higher level. And I think everybody has had moments where they're watching a beautiful sunset and they're not thinking so much of themselves or they're making love or they're on psychedelics or they're meditating where they're just really present and in touch with a deeper love and peace. So that's kind of what it feels like that you're just not thinking about the future or past you're just completely aware of yourself as a awareness that is enjoying life because you're filled with love or peace so the question really becomes how can you have more of those moments and how can you integrate them into your daily life and so i think different things work for different people that's why i presented what i thought were the greatest hits in the book so that you could try it out and see what works for you. I so appreciate that idea of enlightenment being a daily practice. I think there's this common myth that it's like once you achieve this certain status of enlightenment, then there's nothing else to do, you know, like, yeah. <laughs> but it is a daily, it is a daily practice. And I mm -hmm. think that might be surprising to some people. What are some of those you mentioned, like some practices are only 20 seconds. What are some of those practices that either you use or that you find most effective? Well, I'll give a couple examples. And usually they have a story to them, which people remember, and then they remember the practice. But um when I was talking to a lot of these teachers, a lot of them mentioned the importance of using gratitude as an entry into higher consciousness. And so I was kind of tuned to that. And a friend of mine named Fred came back from India and he looked totally lit up. And I was wondering what happened in India? And he said, well, I got a magical mantra that helps me to feel overwhelming gratitude throughout the day. 
I always want the best method. So I said, well, what's the method? And he said, well, you have to go to India to get it directly from the guru. Uh, have either of you been to India? Have not. It's on it's my a, list. It's a, it's a long way away. <laughs> and you know, once, once you're there, so I travel 18,000 miles. And then once I'm there, I take a rickshaw for four hours to the ashram. And then I have to wait in line three hours to talk to this guru. And I finally get a chance to talk to him. And I say, I want to know this mantra for feeling gratitude. And in a, a deep Indian accent, he says, ah, yes, my mantra is the most powerful mantra on earth. He leans in to whisper in my ear. I'm very excited. And he says, whenever possible, repeat these words. The mantra I give you are the words, thank you. I look at him, I go, that's it? I traveled 18,000 miles again. Thank you. Are you kidding me? That's it? Well, he goes, no, 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 no. That's it is the mantra you have been using. And that makes you feel like you never have enough. My mantra is thank you, not that's it. That's it will take you nowhere. So I'm totally I guess now we off. don't we don't have to travel to India to find out. Exactly. So, so I'm pissed off. I say, well, thanks for nothing. And he says, thanks for nothing is not the mantra. You must say it from your heart many times a day. So when you eat good food, say thank you. Or when you see your child or a sunset or your pet, say thank you from your heart for five seconds and you'll be filled with gratitude. Hmm. So, you know, I travel all that way. So I figured I'd try and use it. So <laughs> I, I leave the ashram. And I get into a taxi. It's 100 degrees in India, but this taxi has air conditioning. So... I say a sincere thank you to the universe, like, thank you for this air conditioning. And then I get to my hotel room and there's a bottle of clean water there. So I say, thank you for the clean water. And then I uh, want to Skype my wife. So I open up my computer and I think, thank you for this amazing machine that, you know, I get to write books on and watch videos and everything. And then my wife appears. I'm talking to her on the other side of the planet for free instantaneously. And I think this is mind blowing. I'm, you know, thanking my wife and tears start rolling down my face. And she says, that must have been some mantra. And I said, you have no idea. <laughs> now, it sounds silly, but if you can like thank the individual things in your life as we go, you know, we live better than kings lived 50 years ago. Mm -hmm. Yes. So it's really a matter of feeling your heart and saying thank you to God or the universe and just tapping into that a bunch of times a day for what is really right in front of us, that's one way of, of an example of one of the you know, 30 techniques I offer in the book. But people have to find what works for them. So I have a similar mantra for feeling love or a similar mantra for like being present, like now is the most important moment of my life which is always true because you're only in this moment. You know, the past doesn't matter. The future, you're, you're never in the future. When you're in the quote future, it'll be now. So I, I'll say, now is the most important moment of my life. Mm. And that helps me to be more fully here. Mm. And then there's ways to expand into consciousness using very simple techniques that most people don't know because they were really invented in the last three or four years. Mm. You know, a lot of people are using techniques that were invented 2000 years ago, but they don't use a computer that's more than seven years old. You know, so we need to update 
the methods we're using to tap into inner peace, love, and joy. And, and what I found is that most people just don't know what those methods are. Mm -hmm. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing that. That's um, really beautiful, I think. And, you know, so simple mantra, but really, you know, gratitude is, I mean, gratitude and stress cannot live in the same space, right? So you can either feel gratitude or you can feel stress. And, and so when we show up and choose gratitude, it really shifts so many things. And I'm curious, just because we're, we're called Be the Love, I'm wondering if you could share that, that mantra to create love. <laughs> well, you know, I think that love is actually our, our natural state, not our normal mm -hmm. state. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's really a matter of going beyond our judgments. Like, how do you evoke compassion? How do you evoke a sense of your heart being open? And, you know, I'm as judgmental as the next person. I just don't take my judgment so seriously. So when I'm judging somebody, uh, you know, I've seen somebody who uh, was doing something I didn't like. And uh, or you can think of your favorite political figure who does a lot of stuff you don't like. <laughs> and you could say, it must be really hard being them. Hmm. You know, that can evoke a little bit of compassion. Hmm. Or, uh, you know, Jesus had the statement, forgive them, they know not what they do. Hmm. You know, that that can be powerful. Or another statement I use is, how is what they're doing like something that I do? Hmm. You know, because uh, we've all done stupid things in our lives, and that can help me over over judgment. So, you know, there's there's little things like that. But Probably for me, what has helped me open my heart the most is my dogs. You know, I really love my dogs. They're a, a very strong sense of unconditional love. So I will like just feel my love for my dogs. Hmm. And it's very easy for me to get in touch with that. And throughout the day, I'll just uh, look at pictures of them or I will tell them, I'll come put them to mind and I'll think, I, you know, I just totally love you. You're such a good girl, you know, like that. Mm. And that is a way to open my heart. But I think everybody has to find and explore what helps them to open their heart quickly and easily and get past all the judgments. Mm. Mm, yeah, I, I appreciate the bringing in of acknowledging our, our judgments. I think sometimes those can slip through without us being aware and holding holding those really loosely. Um, that's one of the phrases I've used for myself. I'm going to hold my opinion loosely about this because then mm -hmm. it just opens, helps me to open and expand my mind to another possibility, invite in something of a higher vibration. Yeah. Um, so thank you for drawing your your pets into that. I don't have a dog, but I'm getting one soon. So now I'm really looking forward to having a dog. <laughs> They're experience. like modern day uh, gurus that we get to live with. Absolutely. That's my dog is my guru. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, and you mentioned you have interviewed gosh, over a hundred other spiritual teachers and gurus, including Dalai Lama, um, Dr. Wayne Dyer, who I think I've read every book of his. Um, tell us what is that experience like just to like be in the presence of those uh, types of people and spiritual leaders? Well, I was a little bit surprised that all of them struck me as very humble and also very kind. Um, you know, Wayne Dyer uh, actually was very kind to me over many years, and he even bought 
uh, one of my books, uh, bought the rights to it because he said, this is the best book on this subject ever. Mm. And I want to sell it my seminars. It was called Communication Miracles for Couples. And, you know, that was very kind. And, you know, these people, although they were, you know, Dalai Lama is still alive, they have a presence about them. They're also very human. You know, they all have, you can be enlightened and have human faults. You know, one of the chapters in the Enlightenment Project is called Myths About Enlightenment. So, you know, they didn't put themselves above me. And in fact, it was very much an exploration and uh, almost like a childlike exploration. You know, children are very open to play and exploration. And I found that almost all these people I interviewed were the same way and counted many of them as my friends. And what would you say that you received in meeting maybe like the Dalai Lama or Mother Teresa? What kinds of pieces of wisdom did they share with you that you've carried forward? Well, something Mother Teresa said was that, you know, I asked her, how is it that she's able to do all this service? And she said, well, I see that each person I serve is Jesus. You know, if Jesus came to you and had a broken leg, you would probably you know, do whatever you could to help them. You know? mm. So that was her method and that worked mm. really well for her. Uh, the Dalai Lama, one of the things he said was that kindness is my religion. And I really took that in because it ends up when we do an act of kindness for a stranger or a friend, it actually is the most powerful way possible to quickly boost your own happiness level. I found that wonderful that when you're doing something for somebody else, an act of kindness, you're actually boosting your own happiness level. So, you know, I do a lot of volunteer stuff. I teach meditation in prisons and I help out wherever I can because I'm selfish. And I found that when I do that type of things, it feels really good. Mm -hmm. And I feel closer to a divine reality because in one way, we're all one. We're all one humanity. And we live on two spheres. One is what I call channel two. Channel two is you and I are separate. You know, you have your bank account, I have mine. There's politics, there's global warming. It's a crap show out there, you know, <laughs> to a large extent on the material world. Mm. But on channel one, where we're all the same, where there's one love that unites all of humanity and that there's what could be called the kingdom of heaven within or a love within, that channel is always happening at the same time. So it's nice to go back and forth between channel two and channel one. You know, they each have totally different experiences. And when I'm tired of channel two and all its conflict, I go within and there uh, it feels really wonderful all the time. So it sounds like there's a beautiful balance that you have between channel one and channel two and, and kind of having your feet in both worlds, so to speak. And that feels really good. It's like two wings of a plane. You know, if you're just on channel two, trying to help things, you can burn out. Or if you're just on channel one, you're living in a cave and you're blissing out alone, you're not really th that much help to the world. So I think trying to find the balance between those two is really important. Mm -hmm. Which I think is really important, you know, especially for spiritual seekers to recognize that, you know, because I think there tends to be maybe some spiritual bypassing that can happen when we are only, you know, in channel one and, and want to seek something that's not in, 
you know, to help move through the the pain, the shadow, the, you know, the hard stuff in channel two. <laughs> so I really like that, you know, because I think that's an important message to, to recognize because we are still humans on this plane. And so as, as Wayne Dyer said, we are uh, spiritual beings having a human experience. Absolutely. Yeah, yes, I love so that. True. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. What you mentioned, Stacy, about spiritual bypassing, you know, there's a lot of potholes on the spiritual path. And I try to talk about them very directly in the Enlightenment Project, because if you can avoid the potholes like spiritual bypassing or spiritual materialism and all the many other things, then what's left is we are deep down like these childlike, wondrous kids. That's how we're born. Mm. And we just have to eliminate or let go of all the obstacles. And what's left is something that's really divine and sweet. So you mentioned spiritual bypassing as one of these potholes. What other potholes do you see spiritual seekers or even seasoned seekers coming up against as obstacles? Well, uh, one that I had to deal with and still do sometimes is what I call spiritual materialism, where you develop like a spiritual ego and you then avoid being vulnerable so that you can look like, you know, you're, you got it all together. Mm. And so it's really important that although I experience a lot of peace, that I also tell people about my struggles and difficulties that I face still. And this was true of even Wayne Dyer. He was very honest with me about his struggles. And even the Dalai Lama, you know, told me about some things that he struggles with. So that's part of being human, but it's not the only part of being human. One thing that I've noticed is that a lot of people are not aware of their blind spots. You know, I used to live, I lived for 26 years in a spiritual community with a teacher. And we would be very honest with each other. And about once a week, the teacher would put somebody on the hot seat and tell them about their blind spots, things that they weren't seeing. And he was incredibly accurate, except when he was talking about me. That's how it seemed to me. <laughs> <laughs> but then he would say, if everything I just said about Jonathan is, is true, uh, raise your hand if you agree with me. And everybody would raise their hand. And I said, wow, I really don't see this stuff. And it's helpful to get feedback from your friends or your mate to show you that, you know, you might want to look at this. You might, you might be a little bit too addicted to Facebook, or you might be not taking good care of your body, or it might be that, you know, your sense of humor has a dark edge to it, or all these little things that when we get feedback from our friends and family can be very helpful in smoothing out the rough edges. Mm. I love that, you know, because I think we we all have blind spots and, and it does take others to really point those out, but there also has to be a level of receptivity and awareness, self-awareness around being able to be open to receive that. And so for someone who, who might have some blind spots or who might have those defenses up, what are some things they can do to maybe take those walls down to start, yeah. you know, maybe opening up to that self-awareness? Well, it's an interesting question. I'll ask you, Stacy, if there was something that you were doing that was hurting yourself or other people, would you want to know about it? Absolutely. Well, when you ask people that question, they usually say, well, yeah, absolutely. 
<laughs> and then you can tell them. Realize that we're all in this game together. As Ramdas said, uh, we're all walking each other home. Mm. And by being willing to be honest in a loving way, uh, it can hopefully help somebody. I know I recently got uh, somebody telling me about a blind spot that was incredibly helpful. And at first, my ego was, well, what do you mean? I'm, you know, and then I realized, no, that's actually true. Thank you. Hmm. So we have to, part of spirituality is, is being willing to be honest with yourself and be able to seek the truth, even if it is a dent to your ego. And one of the things that's helpful is to realize that we're not our egos. We are this loving awareness. And the ego is just a constructed psychological thing to protect us. It can be useful, but it's not who we are. Mm-hmm. So true. I I tell myself many times a day, I am not my thoughts. I am not my, you know, those small thoughts that creep in there that have maybe been from the past or the negative self-talk I've picked up. And uh, it's a daily reminder for me yeah. of I am so much more, infinitely more um, than those thoughts that I think. Um, circling back, you mentioned about the happiness a little bit before and in, mm-hmm. in your book, this is kind of the part in the book that I actually read a couple of times because I'm like, oh, I gotta let this sink in. <laughs> so I would love, I would love to hear your your insights on positive psychology. Uh-huh. Um, you mentioned that in the Enlightenment Project. So maybe inform our listeners, like, what is positive psychology, um, and then how is it useful toward that road of of happiness that you mentioned? Yeah. Well, real briefly, I, I mentioned that there's three methods of happiness. One is the way of control. I'll get money together. I'll get uh, things in my life to be the way I want, and then I'll be happy. And, you know, it's worth putting some energy into that. But no matter what your politics, somebody who had the most control of anybody ever in the history of humanity, Donald Trump, both a billionaire and president, most people wouldn't say that he was deliriously happy. You know, so control and power and money can help a little bit, but they're not the way to supreme happiness. So another approach is what's called positive psychology, which is using certain using certain psychological techniques to be happier. Like, for example, when you are kind, it tends to increase your happiness. When you focus on gratitude, it tends to increase your happiness. When you focus on having a sense of purpose, it tends to increase your happiness. When you're good at communicating in intimate relationships, these are all skills that you can learn that help you to be happier. But there's a third approach, which is called awakening, which is mostly what the book's about. But I say, you know, two heads are better than one, three approaches are better than one as well. So most people are using the control method A lot of people who listen to this podcast probably know that, you know, gratitude and kindness is is useful, but most people are not using the awakening approach to happiness, which is these simple ways of letting go of your ego and tapping into this loving awareness that's always in the background, that's hearing my words. And you know, some people meditate and they experience it in meditation for moments. But as I said, the methods to tap into this loving awareness have gone a lot better. And if you use all three approaches, you get to see which one's 
right for you at this moment? Wow. Yeah. I think, you know, just being able to get present and, you know, grounded. And so you, you mentioned that it doesn't have to take a long time. And so, you know, with meditation, so someone who's maybe wanting to meditate and start to start that process, what does, what does that look like? Well, I've found that, especially when people start out meditating, that guided meditations are really good. Um, as we talked about before the recording, I, I do a podcast called Awareness Explorers. And at awarenessexplorers.com, in the navigation bar is the word meditation. And we have like 100 guided meditations from people like Deepak Chopra, the Dalai Lama, uh, Marianne Williamson, Byron Katie. I, I always, when I interview these people, I say, give me your most powerful, most mind-blowing 10-minute guided meditation. And we record it, and then it's available on that website for free. Mm. Because I think people, you know, they can take thousands of dollar courses and learn these things. But I'm trying to get, like you, uh, to raise the consciousness of a lot of people. So I try to not charge people for any of this stuff. And I think that if they try some of these guided meditations, they're going to find, wow, that one really worked for me in three minutes. Mm. I have three minutes a day to tap into ecstasy. Okay, I'll do that. Mm. You know, that's my feeling. So we got to make it so easy for people that it's easier than Facebook or easier than, you know, touching the remote on the, on the TV. And mm. By doing that, we can reach more people to be filled with love, and that changes the planet. Mm -hmm. I so agree. You know, it's kind of like, you know, when I look at a recipe and it has, you know, 25 ingredients, I'm usually not going to make it. Right. <laughs> I'll just right. be honest, you know, I love it when it's simple, you know, and that it's easy to access. And, and that is, you know, I think what simplicity, we don't have to make things complex, you know, to get yeah. to that place of self-awareness or enlightenment. And so I'm wondering if you can, like, just kind of circling back to that word enlightenment, mm -hmm. you know, I know there's a lot of myths around it. And, you know, I'm wondering if you can maybe dispel some of those myths. And also, can anyone achieve enlightenment? Yeah, you know, um, I've studied this uh, academically and, and with a, a guy named Dr. Jeffrey Martin, who's a Harvard researcher. And one of the things he found is that it seems like some people can get there really quickly, not everybody, but about 5% can, with the right technique, totally change their identity in like a month, which was surprising to him. And that most people can have glimpses right away. But even when you're enlightened, you don't, it's not like that solves all the world's problems. You still have the same issues, the money issues, the relationship issues. You're just feeling peace instead of being anxious about it. Uh, so the idea that enlightenment makes you a perfect human being is false. Mm. Um, what it really does is it makes it so that you identify with being awareness or love or peace rather than identifying with your ego. Mm. But, you know, if you have a lousy relationship, 
it doesn't magically make it all better. You know, you still have to work through some of these issues. And you can see that some of these gurus have issues with money or sex that have caused them problems because they haven't worked through that issue. Mm. Uh, so that's one, one uh, myth. Another myth is that you have magical powers. That doesn't happen normally. Uh, another myth is that it takes forever to become enlightened. And in reality, a lot of people can experience low levels of enlightenment called location one enlightenment after taking like a, a, a 10 day course or, or, or a five hour course. It's pretty interesting that the technology has gotten better. I mean, I have this thing called a, uh, a, a smartphone here. Well, I can talk to somebody on the other side of the planet for free. Hmm. Go back 100 years, that, that was impossible. But we have a better method now for communicating, and we have uh, better methods for, for um, tapping into presence. Let me give another one just because it's so simple. You know, imagine that you were a baby that was just born, and you're seeing the world for the first time. You don't know who you are. You don't really know what anything is. You're just got here, like you're an alien being that just entered a human body. You wouldn't really know what anything means. So you wouldn't have a judgment. To, uh, you wouldn't say this is bad because you don't know what it means. You know, what you would see is you'd hear certain sounds and feel certain sensations and you take it in and you go, wow. You know, and that's the look on a lot of babies like, wow. Mm. <laughs> and and as we become more present and let go of our judgments, that's kind of how you start to experience the world. And that can happen at any moment. Mm. Wow. Thank you for, for sharing that. I think that can, you know, really dispel a lot of myths for people that are, you know, maybe intimidated by that. And, um, and it sounds like it's also about consistency. And so it's not just this one weekend course and you're, you know, all of a sudden enlightened. Yeah. Um, you, I, I do use certain methods every day mm -hmm. and, uh, they don't take a lot of discipline, but they do help me to raise above the normal chatterbox complaining mind that I also have. Mm -hmm. As as we all do, for yes. sure. I can definitely voice that one. And I found as as I, I do have certain practices that I do every every morning and every evening and they they do help create that consistency. And they also get me a little off of the old autopilot living yeah. that I used to call. And I think so many people are sort of stuck in that, well, I, this is just what I do. And so bringing in change and knowing that we have choices, I think can be a really big awareness um, for some people that I can choose something differently other than veg out in front of the TV all day or, or mm -hmm. whatever that might be. Um, so for someone wanting to make those changes, like what, like what would you suggest? What would be like the first little peek in through the door of awareness to discover our oneness and unity, because that can sound really big. Yeah. Um, but what could be those first steps? Well, I think having the right attitude, what I call an experimental attitude, like I'm willing to try some stuff. You know, I'm willing to buy a book. I'm willing to listen to a podcast. I'm willing to go to a lecture. All those are little steps, but you never know when that little step is going to take you to the next step and the next. So it doesn't need to be anything, a 
normal change of life. It might be just listening to a 10 minute guided meditation or listening to a guy blab about the thank you mantra. You know, you never know where it's <laughs> going to be. Um, so I would encourage people to just try those little experiments. You know, I, I used to be very judgmental about uh, Christians because I was brought up Jewish and my teacher said, well, why don't you try being a Christian for a little bit of time? And, you know, I was first resistant, but then as I got into it, like, wow, I had a really wonderful experience with that. Hmm. And I've been a, a Christian for, I've been in a Christian monastery. I've been in a, a Buddhist monastery. I've been in a, a Hindu monastery, you know, just trying to see what, what helps me to get back to that love and it's kind of like playing with life a little bit. Hmm. It sounds like, yeah, just finding what works for you and opening up to that and being in alignment with what feels good. And so mm -hmm. not everything is going to fit just right. It's, you know, finding what works for, for you. Right. Um, and and not hold on, you know, some people have done something for a long time and they don't evaluate, is this really working for me now? Mm -hmm. Or what worked for you 10 years ago might not be the thing that you need right now. Right. So it's always an experiment. So important to reevaluate. And I'm just curious because you mentioned psychedelics in the beginning. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I know psychedelics are making a, a new wave in our culture and our, you know, our world really. And, you know, there's a lot of research coming out. And so what are your thoughts on, yeah, psychedelics and the reemergence and, and how someone, you know, do you think it's necessary or do you think it's a, just a tool to use for that path of enlightenment? Well, I uh, actually got my master's thesis studying psychedelics, uh, so I have a lot of experience with it. What I've seen is that psychedelics or MDMA, better known as ecstasy, they can all give you glimpses of what's possible. And it's really important to get glimpses of what's possible if you haven't had them. Because, you know, why would you try to meditate if you don't know that peace and ecstasy are available, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think they're particularly useful for opening people's minds. I think they can be detrimental if you kind of get hooked on, I need the psychedelics in order to feel high. So everything of power, whether it be psychedelics or sex or money, they can be used to support your spirit or they can become interfering with your spirit, depending upon how you use them. But for me, they were very important in seeing that there was another possibility and once I saw that there was, then I went to things like meditation and body practices so that I wouldn't have to be dependent on the drugs. I think that's a really interesting point that you bring up that anything could help either be a tool or it could be a detriment. There's kind of a, a flip side to, to both. And circling back just a little bit when you mentioned like trying on being a Christian for a while, even though you're a raised Jewish, I remember reading in your book that you touched upon each of the religions and mm -hmm. that many of them had common core themes to them. Could you go into a, just a little bit more explanation of some of those different themes that you learned from? Yeah, well, it helps to have an analogy of a, a, a uh, like a bicycle wheel. 
that on the surface of the wheel, things can seem opposite. You know, the left side of the bicycle wheel is very on the opposite side of the right side, but the spokes all meet in the center. So I see that like with Hinduism, they offer certain techniques and approaches, like for example, bhakti yoga, the yoga of love. Well, I'm a very intellectual person. So that was like, that's a whole different spoke. That's a whole different approach. Mm -hmm. But I knew that if I tried to do something like that, just by trying something that was new for me or out of my comfort zone, that I would grow. Mm -hmm. So I hung out with people who were very into bhakti yoga. And now I have more of an open heart because of that. Mm -hmm. Or um, Buddhist doctrine is very psychologically sophisticated, you know, very much focused on on certain methods that I wanted to learn what that was like. And each of these religions have approaches to get to that core of love and peace inside of ourselves. And by trying them out, I got to see, well, that works for me, that doesn't, that's interesting, but uh, I'll leave that for somebody else. Mm. Thank you for that explanation. It sounds like you, we can pull tools from various traditions or psychedelics, and we can really use that to raise our own consciousness. So this is, as we're beginning to wrap up our conversation, and this has been such a pleasure to speak with you and learn about your new book, Jonathan, where can our listeners find you and what are you currently working on? Well, I want to end with one story and then uh, tell people how they can connect more. I think it will be appropriate for your podcast. Mm -hmm. um, so years ago, I was meeting another guru. And when I went up to him, he said, you know, sit in front of me. So I sat in front of him. And he got really close to me. and He said, who are you? And I said, I'm Jonathan Robinson from the United States. And he and the other people in the ashram just busted up laughing. They thought that was hysterically funny. I thought, well, that was the wrong answer. So he said, no, who are you really? And I said, well, I'm a spiritual seeker. And he kind of shook his head no. And I said, well, I'm an author. And he shook his head no. I said, I'm a man. He shook his head no. I'm a, a writer. He shook his head no. You know, we did this for about three minutes. <laughs> I ran out of roles that I play. <laughs> And then I looked in his eyes and there was like light coming out of his eyes. And um, I just looked in his eyes and was hit by this like wave of love that was so powerful mm. that I just began crying in his lap. And I'd never felt quite so much love or peace, not even on psychedelics. And I, I just, you know, crying in his lap and he taps me on the head and he says, this love is who you really are. Mm. And your job in life is to get back to that place. Mm. So I think we all know that love is key to who we are. And, and as we get find our way back to that, we get to serve the world. So, mm. you know, I have a I have a couple websites, one is the enlightenment project.net. And that can tell you more about the book. And if you put in your email address, you get the first chapter for free. Plus, you get the five quickest ways I have found to awaken as an ebook and an audio meditation. I'm trying to get these, these best practices out to a very large audience. So I give that away for free at the enlightenmentproject.net. And then at awarenessexplorers.com, you have all those guided meditations from all the spiritual leaders. And mm -hmm. people can contact me through either of those sites. 
Beautiful. And yeah, we'll add all those links to our show notes. And I was also um, just realizing um, as you, when you said it before that I actually, I bought your book, Communication Miracles for Couples, like probably 10 or 15 years ago. So I read that and it was really beautiful as well. So I just wanted to, to say that. And so that's a really nice tool in the toolbox for, for people. Yeah. And in this world, we need all the help we can get with all the tools, all the inspiration. Absolutely. Absolutely. So thank you so much for being here today with us, Jonathan, and having this beautiful, beautiful conscious conversation. Thank you, Stacey, Brenda. I really appreciate it. Yeah. And thank you for listening to Be The Love Podcast. If you've enjoyed listening to our show, please share the love by sharing it with your friends, giving us a five-star written review on iTunes, or liking us on Facebook. And please consider supporting our mission to awaken our souls with special guest interviews and speak the love conscious conversations with your co-hosts, myself and Brenda, with a monthly donation of $2.22 or $5.55 really helps with the operating costs of this podcast so we can continue to spread the love. To contribute, visit our Patreon website at patreon.com forward slash be the love podcast. And stay tuned for more episodes being released on Mondays and Thursdays at 5.55 a.m. Mountain Standard Time. Thank you, Heather Lynn, for providing us with your beautiful song to accompany our show, Be the Love. If you would like to learn more about Heather Lynn and her music, please visit her website at heatherlynnmusic.com. And thank you, Christy Grace at Leading Edge Productions for the beautiful design and graphic. And thank you for tuning in. And until next time, we are souls on the journey to align to our divine purpose and shine our lights. So keep on shining.